Let's begin our sermon with prayer. O Savior Jesus Christ, you lead to immortal happiness those whom the Holy Spirit has made members of your flock. Through the words of our sermon, we ask you to grant that we who are weak sheep do not trust in ourselves or follow our own ways, but may always have you before our eyes to follow you, our guide. For you only know the way of true life in paradise with our Father, who has entrusted us to your care, so that we may glorify our triune God. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 33. After Peter and John were released, they went to their own friends and reported everything the high priests and the elders had said. When they heard this, with one mind they raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. By the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. For certainly in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did whatever your hand and your plan had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, look at their threats and give to your servants the ability to keep on speaking your word with all boldness as you stretch out your hand to heal and as signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. Also, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The whole group of believers was one in heart and soul. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to testify about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with great power and abundant grace was on all of them. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the sheep industry is nowhere near what it used to be in Wyoming. And when it was at its heyday, the wolf was nearly extinct. And yet today, in the area I grew up in, where there used to be a large amount of sheep ranchers, they have wolves coming in again. And in fact, this September had a cow that was taken down by a pack of wolves. And the thing about wolves is, is lots of times they'll kill for fun. They're like human beings in that way. They'll get that blood in their lips and they'll kill more than they need. They're savage. The good shepherd, shall we say, appeared to be killed by the Sanhedrin. We know he gave his life in his own accord. And he had risen and, and we're after Pentecost Sunday when suddenly in our text, although the word flock is never mentioned, we see the ones that he had established to be his sheep dogs are being attacked by the wolves, the Sanhedrin as well. And so, even though the word flock or shepherd never appears in our text today, we get to see as the wolves are attacking, we see God's flock in action. We see the Lord's hand in working to preserve that flock. Now what had happened was the apostles Peter and John had healed a man born blind. He was in his 40s now. And in the long run, the Sanhedrin is so thankful for this miracle that confirmed the message that Jesus is the Christ that they haul them in and tell them to stop preaching or else they're going to suffer the consequences. That's where our text begins. After they, that's Peter and John, were released, they came to their own associates and reported back everything that the high priests and the elders had said to them. Then those who heard unanimously raised up a voice to God, and they said... I just want to stop there. 
says unanimously, this could have happened in one of two ways. Either one, one of them stood up and led the group in prayer, or what seems to be more the case, but I can't say with 100% certainty, a miracle already takes place. The Holy Spirit unites them that they speak this in unison in one heart. And the prayer begins, O Master. The word for God points out that He's the Master of all. He is on top of everything. He is sovereign. And they say, You are the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. Reiterating that God is ultimately the Master over all. Those who are trying to silence the proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior... He's master over them as well. God is in control. He rules over all the universe. What a confession of faith as they face those threats that have been given to them. And then they say, Who said through the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father, David, your servant. You're going to start quoting Psalm 2. Why do nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The word used for rage You know, in Wyoming, when we got our rodeos, you put a buck strap on a horse and it starts snorting and it's kicking and everything. That's what the picture is. They're going on the attack. They are kicking and screaming. And who are they kicking against and snorting? God. Isn't it sad how the nations, we can include our own nation here, and often we can include ourselves because we have a sinful nature, View God as something to be kicked against, like a buckstrap, something we try to kick off. We look at his holy law that shows us our unholiness, tells us what holiness is, and we say we've got to be free of this, and we go about it all wrong. Of course, we have that new man that knows to trust in Christ who has already removed our sin. And the nations, the people, they plot against the Lord. But he's the sovereign. They already mentioned that. You cannot depose of God. You think you can plot against him. You can't even do it in secret because he can read your mind. He knows everything. And the psalm continues. The kings of the earth make an opposing stand and the rulers are gathered together upon the same place against the Lord and against his Christ. Christ. That means anointed. Jesus is the only one God anointed to be your Savior. This rules out all of our work righteousness. This rules out the idea that I, in and of myself, have to be good enough. I have to act good enough. I have to do the right things. And and No, Christ is the one that God anointed to save you and the one God anointed to save me. So what are they kicking against ultimately? What are they gathering together as if in one place? Against the Savior. Against eternal life. And while this psalm was written by King David 3,000 years ago nearly, we can see it today. You don't have to turn on the news very long to see people who resent Christianity. And, And sad to say, sometimes what they resent so much is against people who are work righteousness and have brought their animosity onto themselves with a holier than thou attitude. But let's admit it, ultimately, We want to have something to brag about before God. We want to tell God how to be God. We want to be in control of God. And they do it in vain because God is the one who's control. He's the master. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he used that control to take on human life and save you and I. But after quoting Psalm 2, they then turn around and apply it to their present situation as Jesus' flock. They say in verse 27, Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, have in truth been gathered together into this city over your holy son Jesus, 
who you anointed. There it is. They plotted against the Lord. They knew the miracles of Jesus. They knew the word he spoke. They understood his authority. And they wanted to get him out of the way. They wanted to get him out of the picture. As Jesus himself said, quoting the prophet, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Applied to their times with the shepherd himself. And, and yet, they are able in this prayer, immediately under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to also confess that this happened, as verse 28 says, in order to do as much as your hand and your resolution had predetermined to happen. Theologians make a distinction between God's antecedent and consequent will, what that means. There's what God determines must happen. God, knowing all things, before he said, let there be light, had predestined you to be saved. That must happen. He's going to see to it that the word comes to you, that the Holy Spirit enters your heart, that he's sealed there with baptism. He says, I'm going to deliver you safely to the day of your deliverance. But then there's his consequent will. What he decides to do in consequence of what people are doing. So, for example, God, knowing all things, knew Judas would be a willing heart, wanted to betray his Lord. So the Lord had planned to use that. Just as he planned to use the plot of the Sanhedrin to place himself on the New Testament altar that is the cross. Isn't it amazing? They had gathered together plotting, both those who were supposed to be believers, the Israelites and those who were Gentiles, they'd gathered together to plot out the murder of the Lord, and yet God, the master of all creation, who's always in control, used it to serve his plan of saving them. And don't kid yourself, the devil was behind that plan. He thought he was murdering the God of all creation. And yet it turned out to be the very means by which the Savior would bust free your shackles of slavery to the devil. It turned out to be the very means by which he would chain the devil in hell. And we are told that in Revelation there'll be a short time right at the end before Christ returns that the devil is unleashed and allowed to run amok again for a very short time. See, they had plotted against the Lord and the Lord used their plots as the very means by which he would win forgiveness for you. And in fact, many of those people who were shouting crucify, he would win forgiveness for them. In fact, it comes to all those who believe. And so they continue on. And so in regards to this present situation where the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that had crucified Christ, the same Sanhedrin has told them to stop preaching. They said now in regards to this present situation, O Lord, fix your attentive gaze upon their threats and give your servants the gift to keep on speaking your word with all straightforwardness. Isn't it interesting what they come to the Lord for? Number one, these people are plotting and murdering. And, and again, there's a neat picture there in the inspired Greek language to fix your attentive gaze. We don't know what your plan is here, Lord, but we can be confident that it's for good. So keep your eye attentively on them and do what you have planned. Let your will be done. But also give us, your servants, the gift to keep on speaking your word. And we translate that word as boldness. It's unhindered and boldly all at the same time. Wow. Lord, we're looking at being persecuted by the wolves who were supposed to be the overseers in your congregation, the Sanhedrin. Let us not cower. Let us not run away. Remove the obstacles for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here we see God's flock in action. We see them praying and being given the gift, we'll see in a minute, among the tyrannous wolves of this world. They knew where their power was. It wasn't in themselves. Peter had denied his Lord three times. The other apostles had ran and fled. 
They knew the power was in the word. So ultimately their prayer was, you look after the wolves and you give us weak humans the ability to speak your word, which is the sword we have. Let us speak your word with all boldness. See God's flock in action among the tyrannous wolves of this world. And you can see even in our own congregation and in your days as as you have to go to work with unbelievers who may resent you and ridicule you, recognize God's still the master of the universe. He's still at work, still ruling over the creation, even while the wolves are coming. And so we can say, as with Psalm 23, he prepares a banquet before me in the presence of my enemies. Continuing on with verse 30. While you stretch out your hand so that healing signs and wonders keep on happening through the name of your holy son, Jesus. Recall that the miracles Jesus did were meant to confirm his word, to show people, I am the Messiah, I have the power of God. Now the New Testament is happening before the apostles' eyes. It hasn't been written yet. And so the miracles that God gave them to do were not powers they had in and of themselves. They were powers to confirm the message that this Jesus is the Christ. He died and he rose again. We saw it. He's your savior. And they would be able to do miracles such as the one they did that landed them before the Sanhedrin to confirm that they had something special. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, today you live in a time when you have an even more awesome miracle. And you have it in such abundance that we don't even realize it. We take it for granted. We don't need the miracles to confirm the word of God anymore. Because the miracle of inspiration, God inspired the evangelists and the apostles. They wrote the New Testament down and you have it. You can carry it in your hands with you. You can put it on your cell phone and check and run to it for comfort and strength, for defense, for offense as well. Look at the miracle God has given you. He's given you the word to take care of you individually. And as the apostles were praying for those miracles, it would confirm what they had because the word, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. We can also say there are Christians who they want to be in control of God. They read uh, the miracles in the New Testament and they say, if I believe hard enough and they make that face something they do in and of themselves, if I try hard enough, then I can do miracles. And when I've been around, it's often those who are in charismatic churches and stuff, it's very interesting that really the miracles they want to do are according to their will, not God's will. I'm not saying that God won't do a miracle today to confirm his word when it's being proclaimed. He certainly can. But the great miracle happens that we have the word and he assures you that the Holy Spirit is working through that word to harden or soften a heart. And we're told after they had prayed, the place in which they were having been assembled was shaken and every one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they were speaking the word of God with straightforwardness. God does another miracle to show them he's heard their prayer and he's answered it. He shakes the place. But then they get that measure of the Holy Spirit. And the big thing they asked for God exactly gave them. They proclaimed straightforward the word, unhindered and boldly in the face of persecution of the Sanhedrin. Why? They needed to take care of God's flock by proclaiming it to those that God had predestined to be in the flock that weren't yet, and those like you who are already members of God's church to strengthen them. We're told something neat happens, though, within this flock as well. There's something else that comes along to confirm that God has heard their prayer and answered it. That's verse 32. Now, the whole group of those who believed was one heart and soul, and not one of them was saying that something of the things which belonged to him was his own, but all things were common to them. Now, oftentimes, people will use this Bible passage to say, therefore, it proves that God insists that Christians be communists. 
And that's not the case at all. If we look at the original Greek wording that's given there, they retained stewardship over what was theirs. They considered, though, the things that were theirs belonging to the whole entire flock. This is like a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm the primary breadwinner in my family, but each one of us considers the home you've provided our home. They were a family, and when there was need, they took care of it. Sadly, this isn't going to last. Pretty soon, taking care of widows will bog the apostles down, so they'll have to bring in somebody else, a few other people to administer to those in need. And ultimately, the apostle Paul will have to write to congregations, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. But, especially in the early days of the Christian church, when its shepherd had risen and ascended, we get to see how they truly were a flock. They took care of each other. They looked out for each other. And they had stewardship of their own possessions, but they considered themselves as family and looked out for the needs of others. And so here, in the early days of the Christian church, we see God's flock in action, taking care of each individual with unity as a family. The last verse of our text says, The apostles were both giving back the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord, Jesus with great power, and grace was great upon all of them. The inspired Greek word that's used there is they're giving back the testimony. They saw it, they were blessed to see it, and they're giving it back. They're sharing to others, I saw the risen Lord. I, people like Thomas being able to say, I put my hand in the nail holes. I know he's risen. We studied last week where they got to see him eat fish. And no, this isn't a ghost. This is the risen Lord. They gave back that testimony. That's what they were focused on. Can our church start something like a bowling league? Sure we can. We're a family. And do we have to pray before every bowling tournament? No. But if the primary purpose of our church is to be a bowling league, we're no longer a church. The focus is proclaiming the good news of the resurrection. And you do this when a brother or sister in Christ has a sin that's taunting them and you use the loosing key, in Christ your sins are forgiven, you're proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. The receipt that your sins are forgiven is the empty cross, is the empty tomb. And so this is what we focus on. This is our core message. We use the law to show we need a Savior, but the resurrection of Christ is the gospel, is the good news, the receipt, your sins are paid for in full. And we're told that along with that, that grace was great upon all of them. Grace's gifts receives at Christ's expense, and in that early flock, God was especially pouring grace upon them. Now stop and think about this. We've seen here that they were focused on the resurrection and, and receiving grace. And this is really why Lord of Lords Lutheran Church exists. First and foremost, we exist to share the resurrection of Christ, to give back the gifts God has given us to others so that they can know Jesus as their Savior. And he gives you the privilege, while being a sheep in his flock, of also taking care of the rest of his flock. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can apply all this to our whole congregation. See God's flocks in action among the tyrannous wolves of this world. Yes, it seems like Lord of Lords Lutheran Church has struggled in an uphill battle just to stay planted here in Casper, Wyoming, and it's slightly over 30 years of history. And we certainly know those who have resented the existence of this congregation. We certainly live in a world where even our school systems often seem to be hell-bent, if you will, on making our children atheists. Let them. God's in control. 
If we had looked at the history of our church a thousand times, we should have locked those doors and, and, and been done. But God was in control and he kept you planted. You guys have taken care of each other with individual unity as a blessing from God. As we've seen through the years, the many crosses and hardships you have borne. And as you've reached out to those who have come to know the Lord and made sure that they didn't run away. As you've kept in contact with so many of those who in energy busts and they move away, you've made sure that they still know they have a family here, made sure that they're going to visit and and attending those churches where they will hear the word of God and its truth and purity. And yes, certainly in the years I've served you as pastor, I've seen you're focused on the resurrection and grace. Often here now even forming our evangelism committee again to make sure that we are proclaiming that resurrection. And not just taking care of ourselves, doing that as well, but also taking care of those reaching out to let the world around us know that Christ is risen. Amen. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.